Hello and welcome to Tech Cube Podcast, sponsored by ECS, the podcast that enables people processing tools. My name is Ben Shinobi, and today we have an exciting episode with an enthusiast of all things tech, Sunil Taylor. Hey, Sunil. Hi. How are you doing? Not too bad. And yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about everything serverless. Um, Sunil, why don't you give the people a bit of background on yourself? So I've been in the industry for a while. I started off as a PHP developer. I've worked in um, a lot of the big names in the industry. Um, some of the more well-known names um, would be uh, Yahoo, DoubleClick, Google, um, Thomson Reuters. Um, I've moved from PHP development to um, server administration. I've been uh, also been in a data center um, racking racks with servers at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow! Um, I've also had to get a hacksaw to a rack. Yeah. <laughs> so you've had to be a bit brutal. Yeah. So you, that. So you've seen uh, you've seen sort of like where we've come from with having you know um, built servers on racks and having uh, big data centers to where we're now going into a space where we're completely serverless. Yeah, you could say that. I've seen the change. Uh, Cool. So before we get any further, we need to define what is serverless. So a lot of people within the industry would typically say, well, it's serverless. That means there are no servers, but it doesn't really mean that. In your own words, what do you define as serverless? So serverless is um, a cloud computing execution model uh, in which the, the cloud provider provides the servers. So there are servers involved. It's just that you as the uh, consumer, it's not your problem. You're right. just using the service and all of the uh, execution and allocation of resources um, it's it's put on it's shifted to the cloud provider so they have to manage the um, the scaling uh, architecture scaling issue in questions so yeah. um, so amazon provides um, its own set of cloud uh, um, serverless technologies but the other cloud providers like Azure, they provide theirs, um, GCP. So each of them have their own um, compute service, which is um, serverless. So you're actually writing a function, and the, um, the execution of that function is handled with the cloud provider. So they will provision the resources, the servers that it needs to run. Um, it's an event model, and you only pay for the services that you, uh, that you use. So while it, while it's executing, that's when you're paying for it. Okay. So um, in your in your thoughts and what you've seen from where you've come from and how the industry is moving now, um, where do you see serverless going? So that's an interesting question. I think the the best way to describe it is uh, back in 2018, I was lucky enough to go to reInvent. So I've actually been to AWS reInvent conference in Las Vegas twice. So I went back in 2018 and 2019. Um, back in 2018, each time we had the Amazon um, conference, I like to phrase it as the, there's a generic theme um, in the announcements. And 2018, there was a lot more announcements on serverless. Last year, the announcements were more focused around machine learning. There was there was a mention on serverless in last year's uh, in 2019, which was Fargate for EKS. Hmm. Um, but uh, the point being that the um, Kelsey Hightower did a presentation at KubeCon um, called Kubernetes, A Path to Serverless. Mm. 
And the reason why I mention that is because it uh, explains the story of where we were, were back in the days of NASA and the space race, you could say, and to where we're going to today. So what Kelsey Hightower did is he took Fortran, um, uh, a programming language that you find running on mainframes, say, and he containerized that, um, that application and that language to do a, a function. And what he did with, the, with that function was he launched it as a container on Kubernetes and then he can um, containerized it into a custom image. So one of the announcements back in 2018 was custom images and um, Lambda layers. Right. And so what he did with, with his um, talk was he showed ha um, a path where you could take something that was back in the old days, you could say um, bare metal uh, applications. So if you was, um, what you mean by bare metal is if you take a computer, you'd install an OS on it, and then you'd put your application and you'd run it. And so that whole box would represent one application. And then from that, the story got moved on to VMs. So VMs we're seeing uh, is basically what EC2 is. It's a VM. It's a virtualization. So you would have a, uh, a physical server representing multiple VMs, yeah. each VM having its own operating system and its application running on that. Yeah. Um, the story then moved on to containerization. This is where Kubernetes comes in. So Kubernetes uh, uh, or containerization is the virtualization of an OS. So you still have the one OS, but you can containerize and localize your application. Yeah. And serverless is a natural next progression. And um, the reason why I mentioned Kel Kelsey Hightower's um, Kubecon talk back in 2018, um, Kubernetes a path to serverless. I think people should uh, um, view it. It's on it's on YouTube. Yeah. Because it shows how you can take uh, legacy applications, contain uh, containerize them. And then run them on uh, on Lambda. That yeah. was one. That was one roadmap. So back in 2019, what Amazon did was that they launched a service called AWS Fargate for EKS. And this is um, containers for serverless. Right. Um, so you can take your container and now just run it. You don't have to um, build an image to run on on the Lambda compute service anymore. You can just run your container, and it offers the benefit of that you can focus on just building your application, containerizing it, and then you give give it to the serverless um, platform to handle. So there are are servers. Uh, going back to the question of what is serverless, yeah, there are servers that are involved, but it's just not your problem to deal right. with. Right. So in the evolution of you know computers and compute and having that, you always I can always. Um, compare that to uh, the evolution of mankind you know you have the the little man hunched over a woman hunched over and then at the end of it you have them fully standing up walking away where would you see in that evolutionary chart serverless actually sitting in that sort of evolution so right now the um, as i mentioned earlier it will be at the end of the evolution at the moment because it's the cutting edge right and so you have bare metal then you have virtual machines and then you have um, public cloud is really where so virtual machines ran in private cloud and then you came into the story um, public cloud which provided VMs and then you had containerization containerization and the next step is serverless and then after serverless it will be um, computing at the edge right so there is another story 
but each story has its own use case as well. You you mentioned use cases just then. Um, <coughs> so I want to be able to understand, you already said as well, that being able to take what um, what you would normally as an organization would have to deal with in all of the infrastructure um, and passing that on to the cloud provider. What are some of the other benefits to business that you can see? Uh, and I also want to touch on sort of like the migration path that some businesses might take when moving to serverless. But first of all, what are some of the benefits that you see that serverless able, is able to provide? Right, so let's have a look at the um, pricing model for, for um, serverless. So it's paid per execution. So you're only paying for it while you're running the service. Which uh, can provide some challenges, but carry on. So the, the, um, the value there is that if you're, you're not having to run a server 24-7 and the server be idle. So, um, so one of the benefits of cloud in general is this, this concept of elasticity. Yeah. So you can, uh, you can have a server running, say an EC2 server, to say that your um, service is running, but if um, there's not too many requests, then you don't have to scale out. Um, so you don't have to um, add in scaling to the uh, to the conversation. Right. And what a serverless allows you to do is it saves, it takes the whole concept of scaling and architecture and says, okay, we will handle and handle that conversation. You just focus on your business model. Um, um, so your business logic, what is it you're doing as a business? You're providing a service um, and computing is just a means to an end. Um, so traditionally, um, if you had, um, say, a six months development life cycle, you could end up spending three months or even more just tackling the scaling question. Yeah. Because uh, scaling is a, it's a complicated, complex problem. How do you uh, handle uh, different scenarios of scaling on the different levels? Um, so that, that problem now is moved over to the cloud provider. So you only have to handle um, your features, what, what you're going to uh, expect to um, provide in your custom experience. But with actual having um, servers not running constantly, the actual power that it takes to actually run up those bo bo or boot up those servers must be a hindrance on the business. So what can you say to, say to that? So I would disagree with that. I think that's a, a factor. There are some use cases there, um, where serverless isn't appropriate and then uh, in which case you have to take a sensible approach and then use the other options that are available to you like EC2. But um, one, one, one classic example where um, serverless is an easy um, easy win, you could say, is static um, website hosting. So um, Amazon provides uh, a number of serverless services beyond compute. So uh, Lambda is their compute service. They also provide storage services like S3. Um, and they even provide database services now as well. So there's uh, Aurora for serverless. And the the concept is, um, is that because you don't have to worry about uh, instances and endpoints uh, and, and scaling that's all handled by um, the cloud provider so if you needed to la launch a service um, you could say static web hosting is a, a, is a prime example of what you could where you can use um, um, serverless services and then the question is what else can you do with static web, web hosting yeah so you can add functionality to it and that's when you bring in lambda compute and their website interaction you wouldn't be uh, expecting to do long long uh, compute examples right okay so, so um, it might be interesting to point out that the uh, ECS digital do meetups and DevOps playground and I held a, um, 
a meetup on Lambda. Yeah. And in that meetup, what we did is we took a scenario of where we we're hosting static content and we produced a website. And then we, what we did is we added um, a dynamic functionality to it. And then we added, uh, next lab, we added um, form processing. So these are all the typical use cases on our website. And although there was more labs than the time allowed, the last lab was um, using a service called Kinesis, yeah. which is streaming data. And what that would have done is that it would have streamed data to DynamoDB, yeah. which is um, a NoSQL database that Amazon provides. So now, and again, it's a, it's a serverless service. And what it will allow you to do is you you populate the DynamoDB database using Kinesis, and then the website would pull using Lambda that data live. And all this is happening by using serverless technology, so you don't have to worry about servers. Nice. <coughs> but with organizations, you know, um, not all organizations are locked into a specific vendor. So you'll have some stuff that running on Windows, so you use something for, for Azure, or, or you'll have some GCP, and you'll have a mixture of AWS as well. So, you know, that must be a, a hindrance on the organization having to only choose, or f from my limited um, reading on it, only choose a single vendor or getting vendor locked in because you will want to use a single feature from that specific vendor. So, what what do you say, or how do you how would you guide uh, businesses in being able to make that decision? So the, there's those are interesting points. Um, so I would say you're talking about more like the f um, where is serverless going if you're locked into a particular cloud provider, right? Yeah. So there is a the community that the serverless is a community as well, and each platform has uh, its own definition of serverless and provides services. But generally speaking, uh, the compute capacity and uh, allocation of resources. Um, is a general uh, interpretation of serverless. So each each platform, Azure, GCP, and Amazon, they will control the allocation of resources. So you're just using a service. Now, the way serverless works is it's a event-driven model. So if you take a Lambda, which is the compute model um, um, service, it pr uh, works by triggering an event, and then it executes your function, and then it produces another event. And this each vent provides metadata, and that metadata you can then feed into another function, or on a, um, that metadata you can send to another service. Now the community, what they did is they realized that each each cloud provider provides a different uh, format of this event data, and they came up with this specification called cloud events. And some cloud providers have actually implemented the cloud events. So Azure has um, its own definition called. Um, Azure Event Grid that implements this standard. Um, there's a JavaScript serverless framework that allows you to um, install it on an EC2 instance, right. and then you can use use it as a gateway to use other services. So there was a, another talk um, at um, KubeCorn in 2018, I believe, where they did a demonstration of this. Um, I think it was done by Austin Collins and it was a um, serverless framework. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to uh, use Amazon's uh, compute and send the uh, output, the event data, to this um, event gateway. And, and the event gateway then helps you integrate and to execute um, services on other cloud providers. Right, okay. So this, this gives you some measure of uh, control to use other services. Yeah. 
Oh, that's it's good. So, so, but the before we talk about, um, I think we should focus a little bit more on this question of locking. Yeah. So, um, a few years back, I attended a meetup uh, from the Guardian newspaper, and back then, what the Guardian was doing was they had their own data center, and they were competing with Amazon on public cloud to um, churn out features. And what they dis- what they discovered internally was that they could just couldn't compete because Amazon was more innovative than their own team and they weren't able to uh, produce as much features as quickly as public cloud. And so in the end, what they did is they gave up the whole of their data center and went complete all in onto Amazon. And this question of locking came up. And what they decided was that actually uh, what they can do is they could take the locking and say, okay, if we need to move cloud providers, then we'll allocate, say, I don't know, a year to refactor cost of moving the infrastructure and it's the same same issue right when you have um, you you invest in a data center you would expect a return on that investment after three years of course and then uh, you'd refactor into a design a new data center and it was the same thing in principle so back in the old days what you do what the options we have now with uh, multi-cloud is we can containerize stuff and then the containerization allows us to move to different clouds. So that helps us um, mitigate some of the locking. Um, so you'd use, you'd use containerization and you use some services and some services might require some factor refactoring if you need to uh, move to a different service provider. Uh, what Amazon have done is, because with uh, Fargate for EKS, is that they said, okay, then we'll, we'll provide serverless containers. So you can run your container in our serverless platform, not have to worry about provisioning clusters. And so this is how you can, there are options right, for okay. doing that. So, you know, as, as a consultancy, both of us working for ECS Digital, we also work with a lot of banks and people in high security places where they don't want, they need to have control over not only the services that they're actually building, but the platform on which they're leveraging those services from. So with serverless, you know, com- it, compute uh, or having serverless computing does introduce some security concerns with not being able to see the entirety of your estate what can you see what can you say for banks that are looking to go to the cloud and eventually go to serverless how would you advise them to make that sort of transition so that question isn't really a um, a serverless question it's actually a public cloud question right and the way the public cloud in general has answered that to the community, not just financial, but all businesses, is that there's a set of uh, compliance requ- security requirements um, and uh, that you have to meet. And they've taken uh, each of their services and met these um, criteria. And there's a whole bunch of certific- certifications that each of the platforms will provide to meet these uh, regulatory re- requirements. So Lambda uh, or even the serverless um, technologies are part of that conversation. So that's how they would address it. The, it is an interesting question because actually in AWS reInvent, there was announcement of AWS um, outposts. So it's not uh, serverless technologies per se, but it does help answer this question of sensitivity of data. Right. And what, they, what Amazon did with outposts, they announced that it was going to be generally available from 2019 at the reInvent conference. What is, can you just explain for the people that don't know, what is Outpost? So Outpost is taking a physical um, rack of servers 
and then actually Amazon will um, install that rack into your private data center. Right. So it has a very unique use case. It's um, it's they they mentioned the use case they mentioned it was for batch workloads. So if you have say customer data that you do not trust uh, running in the public cloud for yep. Yep. for whatever reason, even if the security compliance and regulatory requirements still leave you a bit um, sensitive, then you could keep your data in your private data center and you could install this rack into your private data center. Mm-hmm. So it will show up on the Amazon console as a local um, a regional um, entry yep. region. And then uh, you can do your computing using Amazon services. So if you used uh, infrastructure as code tools like uh, CloudFormation or Terraform, then it will just show up as another endpoint. And then you can still use that same code and those same processes and who maintains and has to make sure that the actual service is up and running? Is it Amazon or is it the, the organization so it's, itself? So it's Amazon will manage the rack. So if something goes wrong, it's, then Am- it's Amazon. Amazon will be made aware. Right, and they'll okay. send in an a engineer to fix it. Right. Um, there is obviously a limitation on the rack. That's why I think they've uh, they've said it's a uh, it's um, best use cases um, batch workloads. Okay. But um, what it allows you to do is it answers this question of you know, de- we, we um, define DevOps as um, people process tools. Of course. And part of the process and tooling requirement is if you do infrastructure as code, you can still use your same. Um, so if you take Terraform, which is infrastructure as code from HashiCorp, yeah. um, they provide a, a provider for each each cloud provider, and you can use the Amazon provider on your private data center now. Mm. So you don't have to um, use a different provider like a VM provider and have code that's unique to that provider. You just use Amazon and it just shows up as a unique endpoint. Cool. Um, a second question that we I mentioned before was a sort of migration process or um, a migration from on-prem to moving to cloud, eventually going to serverless. So in your experience, what has been that migration path on roadmap for which organizations can take in order for them to eventually get to a serverless uh, estate that they that they want they're longing for. So, uh, from a consultancy point of view, each use case is going to be different, right? And so, um, the the conversation will be slightly different. Is there will be a process of uh, evaluating what services you provide and how you're using those services, and then there will be a point of um, refactoring these um, to these services. So you might not actually end up using all. Uh, all the serverless offerings, but you might use some of them. Mm-hmm. So remember I said earlier that serverless isn't just compute, it's not just Lambda, mm-hmm. there's other services, you've got storage, you've got uh, databases, so you might refactor to use some of those other services. Before you go and use the entirety of it. So, so th- like I said, there is any ba- you have to take a step back and then evaluate, because not all, not all use cases will cover, so your application might not cover right. serverless, so you may never, never hit that use case of being pure, pure um, serverless. Yeah. But it, it does help balance out the equation by using some services so you don't have to worry about scaling issues. Um, there's a cost reduction as a side benefit. So your engineers um, don't have to focus on the scaling and worrying about running servers. So there's a whole, there's a big massive cost saving for businesses if they're not having to um, have engineers um, out 24-7 uh, making sure the servers are running because the cloud provider is providing that. Of course. So, um, looking into the future, 
we've taken taken a look at the past, where we've come from, where we are now, and the big features that are happening. Taking a look at some of the migration processes of of defining what needs to be actually migrated. Where do you see serverless going in the future? What do you see is going to be the next big thing for everything cloud and and more focusing on serverless specifically? So um, they've mentioned it at the reInvent a number of times that uh, they think edge computing. So um, Amazon provides a way of uh, transferring large data to the to the cloud, and they provide a service called um, Snowball at Edge, and that actually has the ability to do compute. So it, it's Lambda on Edge, and we're going to be seeing lots of uh, computing loads um, happening on the edge. So that when 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 I say edge, uh, let me explain what that means. So if you're say in the United States and then you're in a state and then in, in a unique region within that state, mm-hmm. the um, computers will be, the ones that are closest to you will do some compute. So because we have so many devices now, so we have anything from um, speakers like Amazon Alexa um, to smartphones to smartwatches, mm-hmm. all of these devices, even thermometers now, and home security, yeah. they're all talking to computers, right? Yeah. And right now, some of them are going all the way back to the cloud. So that's, um, that's a lot of travel before it uh, answers your, your query. Yeah. So they're trying to move the computing um, question more closer to you so you can get more rapid response. So there's going to be different use cases, and I see that, that that's where those are the two aspects that I see, that and multi-cloud strategy using other cloud providers playing well together. Hmm. But there is going to be some drawbacks in, you know, having all of this now um, all com- connected to one another. Also, not only having that, but the the fact that you're going to have some people that used to do those jobs of having, um, you know, uh, being able to look after an estate, not being able to do that sort of stuff. So where do you see uh, that future for those people that used to do those sorts of things, those sorts of jobs and those sorts of tasks? So that's really a, a DevOps question, right? The, um, so again, we define DevOps as people process tools, right? And so this is a question around the people. If we focus around people and culture and how we tackle that. Um, so here at ECS Digital, we have this concept of continuous learning. So we're always learning because today's skill set is old by the time tomorrow comes, <laughs> yeah. right? And so you constantly have to um, reevaluate your skill set and train up. And so if you have people that used to manage servers uh, go down to like the command line level mm-hmm. on on physical servers, they're still going to have to do do that. It's just the role slightly changes if they f- focus on the, an, an, on a different part aspect of it. Mm. So this is where the new tools have come in, right? Um, Terraform. So we're we're HashiCorp partner, and we're seeing uh, people are re- refactoring their skills from system engineering, um, system administrators, and now learning how to do infrastructure as code, um, build pipelines. So they're they're just uh, they're still having to rely on the traditional core base of knowledge, and refocus it on the latest technology. So the people won't be out of jobs in IT. Um, we're always le- learning new things, new skills, right? Continuous learning. Exactly. <laughs> That's very good. Well, Sunil, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and insight onto everything serverless. It was really a pleasure. Um, a lot of knowledge was uh, was uh, portrayed in this episode, and I th- hope that the people listening got something out of it. I want to really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you.